0: In case it is not abundantly clear yet, this is Trinity Sunday. (laughs) We get longer readings, longer hymns. Uh, There's just a lot to say about the Trinity. So, what I'll offer you is a shorter reflection, my stab at trying to explain the doctrine of the Trinity. But to start, I will say that I have a new friend in the neighborhood, and he's almost one, he's super cute. His activities are pretty charming, too. His current favorite game is Pass the Object, which we played recently. It is a classic. He hands you something like a sippy cup, which is very important and a serious offering. And you take it, and you say, thank you. And his face lights up with an enormous smile. And then you hand the sippy cup back, much to his delight. This game, of course, can go on indefinitely, and my new friend will outlast you. But no matter how many times the item gets passed back and forth, each time brings that pure joy, and it's contagious. Now, this little story might not be the most obvious way to get into a discussion of the Trinity. And a toddler's game is not exactly a highbrow metaphor for the Sunday that we devote to the most complicated doctrine of the Church. But it's a good one, I promise. We should first note that there are two different ways of thinking about the Trinity. There is God in God's self, the Godhead, that mysterious trinity of persons and unity of substance. It's it's beyond what we mortals can understand. But there is a part of the divine life that we can access and, I would argue, even understand. If you want to know the traditional name for it, it's called the economic trinity. That will be useful to you the next time you want to impress your friends with theology at a party. (laughs) Now, the economic trinity is the name for God as God interacts with us and the world. It is that more accessible aspect of the divine life, which my new friend's game of exchange and his delight can get us pretty close to, actually. Now, Matthew's gospel gets us close to it as well. We just heard that after the resurrection, Jesus appears to his disciples on a mountain, and he gives them the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Jesus here is passing heavenly authority and everything he has taught about divine and human love to the disciples. And surely to Jesus' delight— The disciples essentially say, thank you, and in return, pass him their yes to the mission. At its heart, this is an exchange of love. Richard Rohr called this moment mutual self-gift, in which there is a gift given and received and offered back again. It's really the pattern in all great love stories You can see it in a child's joyful game of pass the object. You can see it in the ways that we give and receive love with one another. And you can see it as Jesus gives us the love of God, and we say yes to that love in return. You and I are meant to be drawn into that love story. I wish that that was the whole story, But every good story needs a complication, right? All this talk of love stories and mutual self-gift is lovely, yet it seems far from the reality of how imperfectly we actually love God and each other. Sin is the plot twist of the ages, the one that's been there since the Garden of Eden. It comes from human propensities for all kinds of things, like fear and shame lust for power, the things that complicate this grand story of ours. It's the same plot twist that landed Jesus on the cross. The reality of sin is perhaps as mysterious as the Trinity itself, but over and over again, the evidence shows that we distrust pure offerings of love and find ourselves incapable of returning them very well. This is true in our most intimate relationships, and it's also true in how hard it is for us to accept and return God's self-gift. Sometimes I think that my new friend is closer to such truths than we older folks are. Or at least, things haven't been complicated for him yet by the plot twist. When things are complicated for us, I do believe that something good can emerge— This is a good story, after all, which suggests an ending that could not be achieved if everything had stayed as innocent and simple as it was at the beginning of Genesis. It must be in our failings at love and in our rejections of love that we learn something about its true nature. St. Augustine said that this is the hard work of every Christian, To see and receive God's love takes intensive self-examination, preparation, and practice. The ways we experience both love and its absence, and the ways we obstruct it, these are the raw materials for our spiritual training. Fortunately, we have a guide to lead us, the Holy Spirit, otherwise known as the Third Person of the Trinity who guides and points us again and again to the way of Jesus. Spirit leads us into all truth, according to the gospel. We cannot understand that whole truth yet, but all the evidence we have suggests that love is at its center. You all have been very patient through the abstractions of this sermon, which, in my defense, are difficult to avoid on Trinity Sunday but I come back to the original argument that the joy found in giving and receiving an object with my new friend gets us close to glimpsing the nature of God. Such a joyful exchange of love is part of God's very self, and the exchange flows from there into this world. The pattern is all around us. So with continued guide help from our guide, May we see more and more of this divine love. And may then we add more of our own love to the exchange. Amen.